You're listening to Cloud9, where Bahaiteachings.org interviews artists from around the globe to learn about what inspires, uplifts, and motivates them to make a positive contribution to the world. My name is Shadi Talui Wallace. You may recognize him as Dan Humphrey, the aspiring writer from the hit series Gossip Girl, or starring as a homicidal bookshop manager named Joe Goldberg in the recent Netflix series You, or as the lead singer of Brooklyn-based indie pop band Mother. What many of you may not be aware of is that he's also a member of the Baha'i Faith. Our Cloud9 guest artist this episode is American actor, musician, and social justice advocate Penn Badgley. Penn discovered the Baha'i faith in around 2011 and later declared as a Baha'i in 2015. Today, the Baha'i faith is one of the world's fastest growing religions and was established by Baha'u'llah in the mid-19th century. The Baha'i faith teaches the essential worth of all religions and the unity and equality of all people. In the first half of this two-part episode, Penn and I begin our conversation by exploring how he's learned to reconcile his faith with his creative practice. We discuss why he's driven to use his online presence to speak out on social justice issues, highlighting the work of the Tahare Justice Center. We also learn about the conditions that led him to discovering the Baha'i Faith. Now, as we said, this is the first part of our two-part interview with Penn, so be sure to look out for the second half of this interview in the coming weeks. On to welcoming our guest, Penn. Thank you so much for joining us, and a warm welcome to Cloud9. Thank you. Actually, hearing the way you you introduced me was uh, somehow somehow very beautiful, uh, you know, just the way you mm. mentioned um, the Baha'i faith and Baha'u'llah. It's very touching and very humbling. So thank you so much thank for you. having me. Thank you so much for joining us. Now, I'd love to just jump straight in and start our conversation by discussing how you reconcile your creative practice with your faith as a Baha'i. Baha'is believe that humanity is made up of both material and spiritual dimensions. And for these dimensions to coexist and advance in unity, there needs to be harmony between them. As an actor, you're most prominently known for your role as Dan on Gossip Girl, whose character you've described in interviews as manipulative and sociopathic. And as Joe on the new Netflix series, You, who put simply is a psychopathic stalking murderer. (laughs) Now, these are very serious and intense roles that one would say counter your beliefs and spiritual practice as a Baha'i. So I'm sure you've put a lot of thought into my question. Could you walk us through what goes through your mind when accepting and playing these roles and how you've come to reconcile these two dimensions to find coherence and why you think aligning your material and spiritual life is is so important? That's a huge question. <laughs> That's a great question. Yeah. Okay. So this is a question that I I'm constantly exploring. It, it's it's always going to be a working answer. But the one word that I think you used, which makes a lot of sense, which I probably would use too, uh, but is kind of like a portal into how I think about this is the way you said it, that these roles may counter my, my so-called beliefs, you know? And, and I think that is the way that a lot of us think about this. Um, whether we identify with a, you know, a, a religious or spiritual identity, we, you know, we, we think of things in, in, in opposition and, and kind of linear, binary, black and white. And well, when I took this job, this, this role of Joe Goldberg on you, the show, 
I think if anything, at the very least, it was an exercise in kind of stepping beyond this binary of right and wrong, of of good and and bad, and understanding that you know this is a this is a process of learning that we're all engaged in as spiritual beings, and that hmm. um, if anything, God is more forgiving <laughs> than um, than we are uh, wrong about something. You know, I wouldn't say currently that these like rules counter my spiritual beliefs. What they are is um, <clears throat> representative of a materialistic culture, and they're interesting for us all because we live in such a materialistic age. And right, they're representative of a lot of the ideas about people and relationships that we have. So if you think about it in a in that way, and if I'm, you know, playing these roles and able to talk about them in a certain way where it like encourages us to think about them um, more as like representative than this like clinical portrayal of a, of a person, then I think it becomes interesting. So it all is like an allegory. It's all a metaphor. And that's actually what art is meant to be, I think, more than anything, you know, or that's one of the things that it does so well is it it creates this working, vivid metaphor for us to consider, and and hopefully it it encourages us all to reflect on ourselves. So, all of that said, I these are both roles that I initially said no to. Uh, Gossip Girl was a role when I was twenty years old. I'd already been doing a lot of um, television shows that uh, you know were inspiring or not to different degrees, and. It would, it would have been the, what was it? I think the fourth series lead that I would have done for uh, you know, a Warner Brothers television show. So I was actually already kind of questioning whether or not I wanted to keep doing this. Um, I started very young. I had worked with the executive producers of, of Gossip Girl mm. before. Uh, and, and they asked me if I'd be interested, understanding that I probably wouldn't be, by the way. <laughs> you know, um, uh, Stephanie Savage, uh, very intelligently and sensitively asked me if I was interested, but but then gave the disclaimer like, I understand you probably won't because you will probably feel like you've done this before. Right. Um, I had very long hair at the time, and she she referred to it as playing the floppy haired uh, like uh, like sensitive guy. I think maybe, <laughs> and and um and I read the script and and I and I told her you know thank you for thinking of me but I think you're right this is not something I'm interested in and so a month and a half later they they came back and wrote me a very impassioned letter um which now thinking about it understanding what a big show it became it was actually like I'm 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 honored that that they thought it was so important that I would be a part of it because I never saw myself as being such an integral part of it which is I don't know, it points to how little I understood it at the time. Um, did you know did you know from the beginning what the outcome of the series would be? Uh, uh, kind of, yeah. That was sort of the reason that I think I took it because the, the idea was like, all right, if this doesn't inspire you to the utmost creatively, well, it's something that will um, inspire your career professionally and then you can make choices you, you want to make more in the future. This is, this is kind of like the game that we all play. And and it and it is a game, and it does have rules whether or not you want to follow them, and you know it doesn't always go the way that you that you want, <laughs> but 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 it, you know yeah. So I I kind of anticipated it was understood like yeah this has the potential to become a huge hit. 
I think with you, it becomes, with meaning the show, it's always funny to say that pronoun. Like, <laughs> yeah. with the show. My mom's going to be like, what, do you, what does he keep saying you? What, what's this <laughs> yeah, you about? Everybody's mom <laughs> has no idea what's going on. <laughs> um, uh, only as it relates to pop culture, love mothers. With, with choosing to do this show, it was a far more conscious, mature decision-making process that for the first time incorporated my spirituality. Like... It was the first time that I centered a decision around these processes, these skills, these kind of powers that we all have of prayer and meditation. It, you know, it's something that I that I'd done throughout life, kind of in different ways. But this was the first time that I was centering, like you know, a rational, intelligent decision-making process that would have huge mm. ramifications in my life and my family's life. You know. So you're actually like practicing your Baha'i beliefs and spiritual practice in a more intense and intentional manner because you're playing these intense roles. Actually, that's exactly the way I experience it. Honestly, like, you know, this idea that somehow these roles counter my spiritual beliefs, I think that's like... It's enhanced them. It's totally enhanced them. And and also like the the term that that I came up with as I was going through this was like, I, I, I'm always willing to understand better the difference between righteousness and self-righteousness and the difference between purity and and a puritanism, you know, because the latter, uh, self-righteousness and puritanism, those things are not actually spiritual. Those things, you know, that's, that's why spirituality and religion um, has such a terrible, uh, uh, like, track record on paper, you know, <laughs> like the, the, these kinds of dispositions. Um, uh, it's it's what completely contributed to the sort of male dominant white supremacy uh, that, that 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 we live in, you know. So like the more we're challenged, the more we learn, the more we can grow, right? I mean, and actually in the Baha'i faith and virtually all spiritual systems, I'm aware of that suffering has that purpose in life, and we obviously don't want to glorify like pain. <laughs> we don't yeah. want to glorify uh, certainly the pain that is suffered through systemic oppression. Yes, but of course, you know the way we individually experience pain might have this universal quality to it. And it, and, and, and it allows us, it, it actually encourages us, I think, if we view it in that way to, to, to overcome these matters of the self and ego. Right. And so interestingly with this role with Joe Goldberg, I've had that more than I've ever had it creatively. It's been <laughs> the most enriching experience ever. Cause you know, some of my greatest fears have come to pass in terms of like everybody being super thirsty for Joe. And then, and then, um, and then also some of my greatest hopes because the way people talk about the show and it's writing yeah. and my performance is all quite rewarding. And, 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 and the conversation I think is quite nuanced in a, in a lot of ways. And that's, you know, so the fact that I could do something and both my fears <laughs> and dreams could manifest tells me that there's not about right or wrong. It's just, it's about process. It's about the integrity of, of our process and, and the integrity of our intentions. Um, you mentioned thirsty for Joe. Yeah, so I, yeah. I think it's it would be appropriate to move on to my next question, which is regarding your online presence. So you play these very intense characters on screen, but in real life, you're using your interviews and platforms and social media to highlight these various relevant discourses prevalent today, these conversations, such as masculinity, male privilege, the lack of diverse representation on screen, and so on. The show You, which you're currently um, working on and starring in, 
can also be seen as a commentary on mental health and the negative implications of social media. So how does the Baha'i faith inform your participation in these conversations? Um, And what are some of the principles of the Baha'i faith that you like to touch on directly or indirectly when you're engaging in these conversations in person and online? I actually, I mean, look, I study the Baha'i writings um, every day, sometimes for hours, you know, sometimes, I mean, I don't want to sound like a straight A student here. I mean, there's some days where it's for five minutes, but, and I do that because it continues to, provide the most profound insight and um, support as I do virtually any and everything, you know? And that ranges from the smallest, most intimate, emotional, personal things to some of the largest things where I'm like seen as a social figure. And that's kind of a bizarre experience a lot of the time, you know? It's like how, what kind of responsibility exists there? (laughs) What kind of things do I need to be saying? Um, What kind of, you know what I mean? how, how do I encourage people to think about this role of this, like, of this bad person who is also a white man who's young and attractive and, you know, people are really, really excited to forgive in a way. Or, But I should also say people are really excited to, to think about it and talk about it. And I think people have actually been really glad that I have spoken out in the way that I have because surely everyone else is sort of feeling the same thing. Because I think with this show... You know, it really, we all could have fallen on our faces in a certain way if we got any of it wrong because of how bad Joe is and how much he is a central figure. So, you know, I guess the wisdom that I've hopefully drawn from the Baha'i writings, it's hard to name which part has helped me where, but I know that essentially the oneness of humanity, which is this idea that we all kind of like lamely accept, but then it's very hard to feel it viscerally like you know scientifically speaking we know that not only are all humans genetically essentially identical but that we share a lot of dna with trees you know so we've we're discovering more and more the physical reality that all things are one and that essentially also people are very essentially one and so but then spiritually what does that mean and then how does it reflect in our conversations and in our jobs and stuff and i think and i think hopefully what I, what I've been thinking a lot about is like the position of a person like me, uh, namely a, you know, I mean, yes, artist, yes, Baha'i, these are identities that mean the most to me, but then I'm also a white man and an American man, a young, successful, kind of at the apex of it all. You know, I, I think it's really important to recognize that, um, maybe that like the, the, the excitement and agitation and anger that might come from a lot of other people who've experienced a lot of other different things uh, physically than me, you know, like that's not the way that is helpful for me, a person like me, you know, uh, to, 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 I think to like sort of listen and to speak and to conduct themselves. It's like, it's, it's to be very patient and hopefully listening a lot. And then thinking about these things deeply and every and hopefully that everything that, I share in in interviews, I'm thinking about like unity. I'm thinking about oneness. I'm thinking about like, you know, I'm not just going to say the thing that will make me appear to be woke, but I want to say the thing that will actually encourage someone who would roll their eyes at the idea that, that I'm a white woke mm. person. Um, someone who, you know, is white themselves and struggling to understand why it is that... Um, that this is such a topic of interest now 
because they themselves have experienced so much pain in their lives right. and struggle in their lives. And they don't understand this idea that they have what we call white privilege, a term that I feel like unfortunately is being used so much that it's now losing any meaning and, and effect. You know what I mean? It's like, so I think about that. I think I try to think about like, yeah, f- to simplify. I also think about how to speak to white people, not just, um, you know what I mean? Like, that's an important thing that I think, um, it's not to, to agitate and anger, but to like, hopefully build bridges, you know, not, not to, not to burn them. And, and I don't say that because I think that, oh, you know, other people are handling themselves improperly. No, it's like everybody kind of in their own coming from where they come from and the experiences they have, like they've got to express themselves in a way that is authentic. And, but for me, it's like, yeah, I I just think a lot about that oneness because that is the animating principle of the whole Baha'i faith, everything Mm. Baha'u'llah said. It's like, it's all leading towards the unification uh, of the the human race and and peace. And so I I don't know, I think about that. Absolutely. And I know sometimes I say things that are quite agitating. (laughs) In the past, certainly I've been more like, um, sometimes I can be quite coarse and you know, whatever, that's like, I'm learning. We're human. I mean, the Baha'i writings say, back to showing unity and thinking about people in the context of oneness and our interactions with them, the Baha'i writings state that we were created to show love one to another. And so my understanding is that if unconditional love was our main reason for existence, that really should be our governing principle that guides our behaviors. Hmm. Now, on this topic of showing love to everyone who crosses our path, I've noticed that you've really been drawn to promoting human rights issues and social justice initiatives. Baha'is believe that justice is vital to establishing unity at all levels of society. And in fact, Baha'u'llah, who's the prophet founder of the Baha'i faith, has said that no light can compare to the light of justice and the establishment of order in the world and tranquility of the nations depends upon it. You've used your online presence to highlight your work with various organizations, such as the Tahare Justice Center, Could you elaborate on how you got involved with them and the important work that they're currently undertaking? Yeah, well, um, so the Tahare Justice Center was founded by a woman who is also a Baha'i. Her name is um, Laylee Miller-Muro. I mean, the work they do is incredible. I don't really want to cite it all here because I think like anybody who's interested should 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 Google it. It's uh, profound work that they do, especially now, especially now as like the undoubted atrocities that are like happening at our border, you know, right now at the American border, the Southern American border. It's like, it's, it's, it's profound. Like surely retrospect is always 2020. And and right now, like we're struggling even to call them what they are, whether these things are, you know, facilities or centers or prisons or concentration camps. And, you know, there's great strife there. And I'm so humbled that that I even, I mean, I was inside one of these detention centers, not at the border, but in Georgia, where I visited a woman named Vilma Carrillo. She's a Guatemalan immigrant, um, indigenous there. I mean, unfortunately, I've actually never even, I've never touched Vilma. I've never shaken her hand or hugged her because when we met, we were separated by a plexiglass barrier. I, the, and the reason I, I had that interaction was ultimately through a relationship I made in the Baha'i faith. And and I am so grateful and humbled that like the integrity of that community in New York City, for instance, my community there, 
is was such that I could meet people who are doing this sort of work and that naturally and organically rather than rather than like speaking out on social media and then you know being linked and drawn to these things in a more professional capacity it was it was like a it was through a friendship you know and that that's the way that I think as Baha'is we're thinking about service and thinking about connecting the world is you know things are going to be accomplished in the realm of politics we're thinking about administrations and governments, absolutely. The life of society in every way is so important to us. But really what we do systematically around the world is learn how to build friendships that are so profound and meaningful and built on hmm. the uh, built on the exploration of spiritual principles that like, hopefully nothing can shake them because maybe the world will continue to quake at such an intense degree that like we need these sorts of relationships more than anything else in the world. And, you know, so like the idea that I could be able to post something on social media mm. that would then be at the same time that my show about about this toxic white dude who actually puts women and people <laughs> and men in cages in plexig I mean it's like the uh, the, the, uh, the 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 parallel is actually I'm like <laughs> so crazy intense and that's what got he you notoriety <laughs> women in cages yes i mean and like people have never liked me more while i'm putting people namely women in cages and you know and then and then like it's painful oh, to say because people don't want to use the but then murdering <laughs> them murdering them oh, i'm sorry I'm and at this, no so i know ridiculous. i mean look we all have to like it's you know you're gonna laugh you're gonna cry like i mean i've done both at the same time and um <laughs> and you know and then and then and then at the same time that this show is becoming a worldwide phenomenon, apparently, you know, more than 40 million people are watching this thing in the course wow. of three weeks or something wow. like that. That's and then crazy. at the same time, Vilma is finally reunited with her daughter after eight months of separation. Mm. She's been in some form of a plexiglass cage, you know, she's, she's, she like, th this is a real thing. And obviously mm. it's like, you know, I don't want to just say it's the it's the same thing in every way, but the the fact that I could have been a part of amplifying her voice and her story, and that it, and the, and that and that it could be such an interestingly aligned timing that you know my mm. character is doing one thing while I'm hopefully drawing attention to another, and that they're related, and it's and it's and the way that they're related is really eerie and profound and violent and and hard to consider. And that and that that and that each one kind of lent uh, some momentum to the other, you know, the show coming out gave, gave me literally a million extra followers on Instagram, right. who might be willing to think about these things. And then and then that and then and then my interaction with Vilma, a real live woman, you know, who had who had been suffering in a detention center in Georgia, separated from her daughter Yezv, they were reunited. And so that that the integrity of like the fact that I was even associated with that lent my voice integrity while I was speaking about these things in press for the show. And I'm so I feel like, I mean, I feel like the irony is I feel like Netflix is indebted to Vilma. <laughs> I mean, it's like, it's, it's a real, like, I just think that was so profound and I'm so grateful to Laylee for including me in that process. And people are so quick to like overestimate my influence in that process. I was just there to like, I was, I mean, I did not do a lot and I did not do a lot of work, but I, you know. But through your experience, you were able to convey that to these platforms. Yes. What was the feedback like on social media when you posted it on your Instagram? Here's the challenge of being 
in my position is like <laughs> people are so inclined to like kind of congratulate you for not being a terrible person. <laughs> <laughs> really it's like uh, it's so patronizing like, you're, you're you're you seem like an average nice oh, guy no. wow because <laughs> you're in such a position that you could be such a phenomenal turd <laughs> you know um or, or or even worse you know like that people are so congratulatory and and flattering when you're just <laughs> like not those things as opposed to being something truly positive so yeah. people are constantly sit commenting like oh mm. you know you're wonderful da, da, da. and it's like thank you um <laughs> but i think we, it's also important to talk about this uh because we kind of skirted around it but as Baha'is, our main goal is to be advocates of justice. And we try to steer away from partisan political involvement or take sides politically. But we vote in our own private way and participate in our duties as citizens. But we try to also take a neutral approach that sides with justice yeah. as the foundation for humanity's progress. And I think it's important I, to note that. I can that. actually... If, yeah. Before yeah, you even get to the rest it. of that question, I just want to say that as a, you know, coming into the Baha'i faith in the last four years, and actually the thing that led me there, it was uh, a lot of the way that like Black Lives Matter shaped this sort of national or global dialogue or influenced and participated in this discourse, you know, and um, I find this, this, this law or ordinance that we have in the Baha'i faith of non-involvement in, in partisan politics, you know, that we, that, that, uh, it is, it is one of the hardest laws for me, but also one that constantly, continually is always like just showering insight and wisdom. Mm. It, it, it's, it's, again, it's like, it's difficult, especially in these times to understand how to, how to be a voice, how to participate in the life of society, to be interested mm, in absolutely. all of our friends. And by friends, I kind of mean like all people, you know, like who we, we want to j join hands, you know, rather mm -hmm. than joining in arms, but like joining hands. And we really want to be a force of unity and to be, and to be thinking so deeply about justice and acting on those, on the reflections that we have. And yet we can't, engage just typically in politics the way that that we otherwise would and it's mm -hmm. it's hard it's not easy you know i think like it's it, when people might hear about this they might think like well that means you're just not going to do anything you don't care and it's like profoundly the opposite totally it's it's actually that much harder to to think about what is effective but then i think that which ends up being effective is maybe more so because again it's not divisive it's it's unifying and i mean yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm just so grateful to that to that law. It's such a pain. <laughs> <laughs> so talking about tools for transformation, I'd love to gain insight into your own perception of media and how it could be used as a powerful tool. The governing body of the international Baha'i community, the Universal House of Justice, published in a 2015 letter that technological advancement is integral to the emergence of a global civilization, yet learning to utilize the internet in a manner conducive to material and spiritual progress is an immense challenge. Could you describe your presence on the web and your attitude toward media and how it's been influenced by your belief in the Baha'i faith? Oh, I mean, again, it's like nothing hasn't been so profoundly influenced, especially the way I conduct myself. You know, again, before I became Baha'i, I remember Thanksgiving of 2014. So Michael Brown was a, a soul, a young man. He was 18 years old. He was murdered by a police officer um, in Ferguson and, and then spurred this national and then global 
movement of thought, I guess you could say, and action um, uh, that we then coined for a time as hashtag Black Lives Matter. And I was, I had only gotten any social media platform like four months prior to support my band. Before that, I had no reason. I specifically did not want to participate on those platforms. I just didn't see it as, I saw the, I saw, I saw it as just dangerous for a person, for a public figure. Like eventually you're just going to say something you regret and (laughs) then it's lights out, you know? Um, And uh, but then, but then, so I got, I got these platforms and then, and then Black Lives Matter uh, became the, the, the movement that it did and, and is. And, and I was just like, so excited in a way. And I mean that in a little sense where it's not just like, Oh, I'm excited in this happy, good way. I was just, I was excited. And then, and then I think really agitated and really troubled by, but excited by the fact that we were finally able to talk about race in a more direct and open manner. I, I, you know, I mean, I'm white. I grew up listening to rap for a number of reasons. This is just something that I, it, in, the reason I bring that up is because it actually, it, in, it influenced me like so deeply thinking about race from like the age of nine when the first CD I got was by the Fugees and hearing, you know, I mean, like there's so many songs on that record about like the experience of, of, of black people, but particularly young black men with cops. And I mean, it's like, I still can recall the, like the lyrics of Lauren Hill and Wyclef Jean and Praz, like talking about these things. I can hear the cadence in their voice and how I was like, wow, they're not lying. And I want to understand what they're talking about. Like, I just thought about these things very deeply growing up and, uh, and, and, was always disappointed at how little my uh, white friends would like want to similarly examine these things or like, you know, worst case scenario, they'd make a lot of racist jokes that always made me uncomfortable and they encouraged me, you know, man, just uh, not a things about race, like loosen up this and that, mm. this and that. And, you know, of course, as a young white man, I, I actually, I tried to believe them and take their word at face value and thank God I never quite could. But so anyway, so once Black Lives Matter was a thing, I mean, I was actually really grateful for the moment to the movement that we could be speaking about these things more openly. I, I was aware of the Baha'i faith at the time. I was not yet Baha'i. I never thought I would become Baha'i, although I was having a very private mystical experience with Baha'u'llah's writings and Baha'u'llah's heart and his spirit and soul. You know, that Thanksgiving, so this is a long-winded answer, but maybe it's interesting, hopefully. <laughs> uh, that Thanksgiving, I remember I was holding my phone. I'd been on Twitter for probably hours as I probably, as at that point in time, for these months, I was every day thinking about how to participate. We want to participate in the betterment of the world. How does one do that? Okay. I am a television actor. People know who I am. I have some, so many numbers of followers. This is the most meaningful way I think right now that I can be doing things. So that's what I was doing. And, you know, a lot of stuff was happening around then too, you know, and we see more and more videos of more and more people being being killed. And it just like, is so full on. And I remember that Thanksgiving again of 2014, holding my phone, my hands and my arms were like cold and I was sweating because I was so agitated. And I remember thinking of Michael Brown's mother 
understanding that she alone in the world is experiencing this in some way that the rest of us are not like for so many of us we're able to have this like removed experience right of like thinking about these things in the in the conceptual but like then there's this woman whose son is dead and and who's actually thinking about her when we talk about prayers and thoughts and actions who's actually like thinking and praying for her and or doing anything for her. And I wept, you know, and I found myself often these days in tears a lot because I was like so personally, I was trying to personally understand that which is so hard to understand in the because it's like at the social level. And so, you know, all of this gives context to the way that I sort of entered into social media. I didn't really ever behave on social media in any other way. I didn't have the opportunity to because I didn't have it before this time. And then, and, then, and then I really started investigating the Baha'i faith more and reading the letters from the Universal House of Justice and thinking a lot about this conduct that we're called to, which, is, which sometimes is neutral in a way that can confuse people. Um, but, it, but I think at, at what it is at its highest expression is a neutrality that invites all to, I don't know, I mean, it, not in a kumbaya manner, but to unite, you know, and and the fires through which that'll happen are pretty mm. great and intense, and we all know that, and we're all learning as Baha'is. None of us are do actually, like, yeah. meeting that standard, but, you know, so... So I, I don't know. I, I, I think, like, I started to think very deeply about mm. how to conduct myself. And because our Baha'is and because the Baha'i faith is such a new religion, we've actually had the bounty to receive really clear guidance or suggestions on how to conduct ourselves online yeah. and how it could be used as a tool for transformation and what our duties are essentially as contributors to that space from the governing institutions of the Baha'i faith, which is actually such a blessing and ultimately uh, guidance and protection. Yeah, I've been, you know, this is something that like we don't often talk about when we're trying to like tell people who are interested in the Baha'i faith. Um, we don't often talk about like studying the letters from our organizations and institutions, our agencies, like the Universal House of Justice. I mean, I've been deepening on some letters from them and actually sharing it with very close friends who do not identify as Baha'i, but are very interested in the things that I've been doing these last couple of years. And I've, I've found this, I've found this really lovely time where we're able to review these letters together and like, you know, their response has been so rewarding and confirming and inspiring for me because, you know, we always want to be testing these ideas and concepts. And when they read these letters from the Universal House of Justice, they're like, well, actually one of my friends said, and he meant in a positive way, he's like, wow, I feel like this is the only neutral thing I've ever read in my life. And I thought that was really beautiful because in the moment, the context was we're thinking about social justice. We're thinking about how volatile this political sphere is becoming, how, how, how every soul in its own way is trying to express its concerns for, or rather about injustices that it perceives. And maybe its perception because of a miseducation is, is totally like, totally off. I mean, maybe, you know, the injustices they're thinking about are actually, they're not, they're not, they're not as, as deep or profound as, as the ones that maybe other people are talking about, maybe, you know, and, and so in this, and in this like melee, we all get so heated about the other one being wrong and just want to prove ourselves right. And so there's something about neut genuine neutrality based in love for all people, but also like with no, no willingness to compromise when it comes to justice, true justice, you know? Like that's, that's the, that to me is the key. And so I've been thinking about that a lot and sharing, 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 um, like, you know, 
these letters of guidance from the Universal House of Justice with friends who are even yeah. just very new to the teachings in general. And I think it's been a, it's been incredible mm. to see how they all respond. I mean, this is a governing or guiding body of the Baha'i community, but it's also available to the world. Mm. One of the things that actually led me to consider uh, what this whole Baha'i thing was, was a, was a letter written in 1985 um, called uh, The Promise of World Peace. This is something I would actually recommend to people online Googling. Um, it, it's, uh, it, and it was a letter to the peoples of the world. It's, that's how it's addressed, to the peoples of the world. And it is the promise of world peace. Um, it is, it is, it, there's, a, there's a... We can also include a link to it in our web copy of this episode. Well, even, even just the first two paragraphs are like so profound. I quoted one of them in, a, in an Instagram post years ago. Uh, uh, and, and I think people were like, wow, that sounds pretty incredible. Where's this from? <laughs> Very cool. Uh, so you kind of already touched on this, but I personally don't know much about your journey to becoming a Baha'i, but I read uh, that you first learned about the Baha'i faith in 2011. I know these dates are kind of foggy, uh, but you officially enrolled in 2015, if I'm not mistaken. What was going through your life at the time? Like, how did you first hear about it? And what was your first impression? And what did your spiritual journey look like basically between 2011 and 2015? I think it was initiated in 2010 by the BP oil spill. I was in what probably what, I think like the second or third season of Gossip Girl. And I was really trying to not let myself be too distracted by all the kind of trappings of being on a television show and being successful, living in New York City. BP oil spill happened. I started reading... Um, some books that linked to environmental uh, justice and, and spirituality, a sort of wisdom of indigenous cultures. And that led me to, um, in the spring of 2011, to, uh, to Colombia, to the uh, rainforest environment down there, where there was this uh, indigenous tribe called the Kogi tribe, They're the largest pre-Columbian civilization that is still intact and um and they have some great teachings and great wisdom and so i met a baha'i there and i didn't know he was baha'i and he he was also from new york interestingly he was my age and um we didn't even stay in touch and we met up again once occupy wall street was uh influencing the the national dialogue and um all of our conversations then were, were, were about linking spirituality with social justice, which seemed to be the missing component from a lot of these movements, um, certainly from, from Occupy Wall Street. And so he and I just continued to have these conversations about spirituality. And he would often share these concepts that I now understand are, are from the Baha'i writings. And I, and, and I would really identify with them. They would resonate with me. And then I'd be like, yeah, but what are you talking about, man? What, like, what is that? And I don't remember how direct or indirect he was over the years in sharing. I wasn't really, you know, we would run into each other like literally once or twice a year in the city sometimes. And and every gathering he would ever invite me to was really interesting. The people there were like, almost, you know, strange in the best way, like coming from really interesting corners of the earth. And like to say that they're diverse is uh, is kind of like feels superficial. It really felt like there was such a diversity and also maybe unity in these gatherings that it didn't fit. I wasn't even thinking about diversity. It was like, 
this just feels like people gathering for the for the for the rightest reason, you know. Um, you know, again, I wasn't I wasn't I don't know that I was conscious that it was a religion. I was always spiritually seeking. I mean, I was starting to develop my own manner of praying and meditating, um, exploring a lot of different systems and meeting a lot of different kinds of people. And, uh, you know, I was also all the while on Gossip Girl and really struggling to stay present in that experience because of how much it challenged me at the time. And how, in a lot of ways, what I didn't like about it was just so magnified. And so I continued to seek spiritually. And at that time, I think, you know, earlier I said that it, that maybe I don't think of it as a conflict anymore. But then I did very much. Mm. And I was bad at speaking impress about it then too. You know, I was like too honest. <laughs> I was too forthcoming and it would often be taken out of context. And I seemed like ungrateful and, mm. you know, in some ways I probably was. And I, I was just frustrated. I was extremely frustrated. I was, I was to actually to say that I was sad or depressed or desperate doesn't really capture it. I was just, I was experiencing this sort of pinnacle of privilege and, but felt utterly unsatisfied and hollow from it all. And yet that wasn't surprising in and of itself. I never thought that it would be yeah. um, anything other than that kind of challenge. And so now I was finally meeting that and, and I, and I was just like, what am I going to do? What am I going to, who's going to, I can't, you know, just like chill and behave in the way that everyone would expect me to, which is to, you know, just basically party. I guess the show ended uh, what, in 2012? I'm talking about Gossip Girl. My mom actually had a minor heart attack, which was really interesting. And that kind of gave me pause. And then I think, and then you know what? I went through a breakup. And as Rumi says, Rumi's a, a, a Persian uh, Sufi poet. And I was, and years later I would read him. But uh, he says, God enters through the wound. Something along those lines. I mean, it's not a verbatim quote. But for me, that was it as well. I think, um, I, so, so to give the context, I had been thinking about social justice and spirituality, all of these really big ideas and concepts. And I'd had some familiarity with the Baha'i writings and ideas, and they were, they were resonating with me. But where it all really came together was just in the deeply, deeply personal. Um, when I was experiencing heartbreak and um, this friend of mine, uh, who I'd run into in the city, in this state of just utter despair, um, which finally really unlocked the, the opportunity to like, be really honest about how much I was unhappy with everything else too, like being on this show and, 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 and living in a place like New York city, you know what mm -hmm. I mean? It's like, I was just, I was just really letting it all kind of out or letting it all in whatever. And, and he gave me the seven valleys, a book by Baha'u'llah, um, which we consider like Baha'u'llah's most mystical composition. Amazing. Uh, that, that was my experience of it. It was, it was, I, I just started, he actually encouraged me to sing a passage from it. And I, and I opened it up to this passage that is about the wayfarer, um, fleeing a, a night watchman who, uh, he sees initially as his angel of death because he's this, this wayfarer in his search for his beloved. Um, and the metaphor here is that he's searching for a woman, but of course, what, what we really mean when we say this is, is, is a, is a, is a human longing for the sort of love that only God can give. And um, as he, in his despair, leaves his home one night, uh, uh, he, he's, he, he, his path forward is blocked every way by, 
by these guards who are agitated and, and want to seize him. And so he finally, fleeing them and lamenting his plight, scales this wall. Um, and it's very high and it's very painful. And at the top of this wall, he essentially casts his life away and he, and he, and he jumps. And um, as the story goes, he, he lands in a garden where he finds his beloved. And she's searching for a ring that she has lost. And of course, at this point, he says, uh, you know, to, to his spirit or to God or to his heart, he says, you know, this night watchman who I thought was the angel of death was actually, you know, my, my, I, you know, guardian angel, something along these lines that, that he, that he, this was my light. This was my mercy. And so it's this idea that if we saw the end in the beginning, we see peace and war and, uh, justice in injustice and injustice mercy, I think it is. So it's like this really beautiful mystical tale of, of, um, overcoming great pain, you know, and, and longing, um, for communion. And, and, and I think that was when I started shifting this idea of what I was seeking as that I would get it from people and like, huh. Yeah. I think psychologically or emotionally, we would say you only can get that from yourself, you know? And then of course, spiritually, I think there's this idea. It's like, well, when we say that, what do we really mean? And I think as Baha'is and as, and as people of many religious uh, systems or spiritual systems would say it's from, it's from God. And God is of course within, but God is also somehow without you know it's it's were you also looking for a like-minded community because a lot of people who are often searching for answers to big questions are also looking for people to share that experience with them yes absolutely well yeah i didn't i don't know if i knew that right I, I didn't know that there would be a community but then yeah when i started realizing that there was this one i was like oh wow and i just would spend more and more time with the hires and they'd be really interesting and they'd be so different and a lot of times now this brings us to the end of part one of this episode be sure to look out for part two in the coming weeks as we'll be discussing how pen's life has been transformed since discovering the baha'i faith We'll learn more about the work he's most passionate about and gain some insight into his plans for the future. Thanks for joining us and stay tuned. Thanks so much for listening to Cloud9. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Feel free to check out Baha'iTeachings.org where you can find more Baha'i-inspired podcasts, videos, and articles.